My name is Aram. I am the Dungeon Master for God's Fall, and welcome to episode 23 as we take a look back at our inaugural season. But before we get to it, we've got one more shout out to Battle Bards. BattleBards produces unparalleled audio for all of your RPG tabletop needs, and I've been generous enough to donate their entire sound catalog to God's Fall for use in our podcast. They have weapon sounds, spell sounds like regeneration and magic missile, character scripts for all of your NPCs. Oh, hello there. You must be looking for a place to stay a while. Psst. Hey. Hey, you. You. Hey, you. You look like the kind of folk that would appreciate the rare, potent, and expensive nature of my goods. They also offer fully layered audio soundscapes like a war band of giants on the march. Or the looming horror of a red dragon flying close overhead. Even a halfling campfire sing-along. So if you want your tabletop RPG to sound as good as God's Fall does, check out BattleBards.com. And while you're online, check out GodsFall.com for maps, character portraits, all the handouts I make for the players, and examples of the God's Fall worldbook we've been working on. If you want to support the show through Patreon or PayPal or pick up one of the official God's Fall t-shirts, we have links to everything on the website, and we would truly appreciate the support. We have big plans for Season 2, including buying some better audio equipment to keep the entire staff on individual lav mics and ensure we never have any issues again. Any support we get for the show goes directly into that fund. But that's enough housekeeping for now. Let's get to the recap of God's Fall Season 1, The Awakened. I'm Kay, and I am playing Queen Fryany Tinueth, fourth level high elf bard. Hi, I'm Steven. I'm playing Torvik Wildtongue, the level four dwarf paladin. Hi, I'm Doug. I'm playing Doro Knot, the level four halfling rogue. Hi, I'm Michael. I'm playing Zion Preeton, a level four human sorcerer. We first met Doro in Port Bliss as he stumbled across the Eye of Saw while hunting down leads about his soon-to-be nemesis, Baron LaFleur. So, you found out that a deal is going down, a lot of gold was exchanged for this very, very small box, and that box ended up in one of LaFleur's warehouses. He's gonna be super pissed when he finds out I took this, because look at this. He literally built a fucking room for this and his, its friends, wherever they are, or whatever the fuck they do. Oh my god, there's three more. I wonder if he knows where they are. I wonder who would know what this is. 
As the halfling searched LaFleur's storehouse for clues to the nature of the Eye of Saw, he found a frightened para locked in a small room and led him on a mad dash escape. I look at the kid and go, OTHER WAY! Like that, and whip out my culturops, and Soon after, we were introduced to Zion, as well as the Kadarian's reoccurring dreams about a great storm and a massive comet. Try to rest and try to recuperate. You have dreams of a great storm and being washed out to sea, deeper and deeper to sea. And every time you reach for land, it just feels like you get pushed further and further out to sea. As you look up, the last thing you see as you slide beneath the waters is a giant comet. He is awakened by his mother, who reveals his divinity and helps him sneak out of the country. She pulls out your father's secret staff. It's glowing. She pulls it towards you and presses it against the side of your face. As she's doing so, it glows brighter and brighter. When she touches you with it, it makes a squealing noise as if you press metal against dry ice. The one day first queen of Ani was initially seen trying to escape an arranged marriage while dodging some drunken suitors. Yeah. Franny, Fran, Fran, Franny, Franny. Friday. Fri, Fri, of course, Friday. It's such a pleasure. Such a pleasure to see you here and this place, as we are. <laughs> All right. Um, well, I have already... Where are you going? <laughs> <laughs> and the dwarf Torvik squared off against a pair of fox hunters. Okay. All right. They kind of puts it back and they kind of back off. That was unexpected. Yep. All right. There was going to be a combat thing there, but you bluffed the fuck out of them and they both rolled two, so that was it. After Torvik's safe pair and Doro from a man with a strange power to manipulate their very flesh, the halfling vowed to one day return the favor. In the Thieves' Guild, when you save someone's life, I owe you a life debt. In order for me to repay you, you kind of maybe got to come with us? Only if to pay off the life debt. I don't know about the whole life debt, but I mean, will there be ale? Uh, I can guarantee you ale. Eh, it's old. When Doro realized Baron LaFleur would stop at nothing to regain the eye, he sent an untrustworthy street kid named Randolph to warn the rest of his thieves' guild. Uh, my next objective is to send a message back to my guild that Baron LaFleur's men are looking for me with the dogs and will follow me to that hideout. Once Doro, Para, Torvik, and Phryne realized they had a reason to stick together, they all boarded Uncle Dobo's herb yacht and headed off for the bluffs, with Zion tucked away in a hidden room, as per his mother's arrangements. Alright, I want to talk to that halfling who tried to rifle my purse. That's racism! <laughs> that is racism! As they traveled to the bluffs under the pale glow of the comet, Doro used the Eye of Saw to once again enter the astral realm and met an avatar of Tyr, the old god of travel, and saw his party members in their true divine forms for the first time. I am the, I am avatar, the avatar of travel. travel. I have been, I have with, been you with you this whole time. time. We shall we see, see each, each other, other again, again and again and again. And again. And again. I reach up and, and take his hand. Boom. Doro falls unconscious. Everyone, Everyone else is gathered, gathered all around, around you around on the deck. The, the dwarf is covered in a living cloak of animals. Weasels, foxes, ferrets, birds, snakes, lizards just all over him. A cloak, a crown, a staff. Everything is living animals. Zion stands encased 
in a shimmering field of armor. It's got that same kind of purplish pink quality that this world has, except it's formed around him like a perfectly forged set of translucent plate mail. The High Elf Phryne is stark naked, floating off the deck with her arms spread wide and a swirling tornado of color surrounding her with flashes of lightning going off all around. Like she's a tempest. Once they arrived in the bluffs, the young Kadarian took to warn his new friends of the dangers from his homelands of those who wield magic. The bluffs is a mining town that has been carved out of the sheer cliff wall that makes up this northern coast of Brennus. Silver was found there well before the God's War, and they had just been digging and digging and digging directly into the cliff face, just right where the boats could first land. Because there's never really been safe travel through the Ironwood until recently. That wide river, the flow, that used to be a road that split open during the God's War and flooded. So the Wild Elves allowed a second road to be built, cutting through the Ironwood from the north and south, ending in the city of Riverrun that works as a trade nexus for the entire northern peninsula. The second thing that immediately comes into view is the Blackwater, a massive, solid Ironwood galleon with four masts and solid blue sails with silver etching that clearly mark it out as a warship of the Kadarian Empire. Okay guys, I have to be very serious here now. That ship right there, the Blackwater, that's like the flagship of the Qadarian Empire. There's no way that this boat, the Montgomery, can get out of here with us right now at all. Only if they want an international incident. We're outside the boundaries of the Qadarian Empire. But if this boat left this dock and we were in open waters, we stand no chance. As they hit out at Aunt Rosaya's, the party bickered over what to do next, and Phryne's frustration with her new companions finally boiled over, revealing her innate ability to cast magic for the very first time. Para is just sitting there with his arms crossed, and finally he turns and he's like, enough! How does this help us? How does this do anything whatsoever? And you just turn and round on him. Shut up, Para. No one likes you. Doro regrets saving you. Your brother isn't dead. He's your choice right now to fight for him. Franny! Following a vision Torvik had of the Ironwood, the party plunges deep within the mighty forest, where they meet Adamiel, a wild elf archer awakened with the power of the god of speed, Senos. You come around a bend and bam, 20 feet from you is a black bear. About, I'd say 40 feet behind him is a wild elf with a bow raised pointing directly at you. You need to leave, my friend. You are not welcome here. Automil and his sister Armenoui, recognizing the players for what they were, took them to the wild elf Haggit, an ancient wild elf druid who had kept spells prepared for the last 98 years, not casting them, waiting for this moment as instructed by the ancient Steelbeard. She used these magics to instruct the PCs on their divinities, teaching the players to control and focus their newfound powers. As far as game mechanics, this is what's happening. At will, Doro, you can now blink. And that is how your superpower, or as we're calling them in this game, your divinity, works. After learning how to access their divinity from the old wild elf Hagent and traveling with Adamil to Steelbeard's Grove and facing off against Cebu and his hunters, the party found themselves at the long-abandoned Temple of Orum, son of the dead god of Earth, Ogun. You see the two stone doors beginning to slide open. Oh, fuck. Uh, what um, did you do now? Cool! All right, well, I'm rolling my eyes. 
because <laughs> I tried to tell these idiots and they never, ever, ever listen. Nope. Though I have had access to my divinity for nearly a year, I have walked upon those steps of Odom's temple. Those doors did not open for me. Whatever the five of you are is something very different. After emerging from the Ironwood's towering blue canopy, the party found a little girl in distress by the side of a cliff overlooking the eastern storm sea. Oliver! Okay. Yeah. Oliver! Whoa! Little girl, what are you doing? Stop! Okay, she kind of turns up and she's like, Oliver! Okay, get right, get away from the cliff now! The girl told the party she was also headed to the annual Turtle Fest in the coastal town of Turtle Bay and introduced a rather exceptional turtle known as Oliver. I'm headed to Turtle Bay. I'm going to enter Oliver in the best turtle contest, and he's going to win so I can buy medicine so my father feels better. Gentlemen and ladies, welcome to Turtle Fest. Oliver is given a silver, and the person who's given a gold there, the crowd is not happy. There's a couple light boos, like, you're kind of suspicious that maybe a couple of coins may have changed I hands here. shake his hand in uh, good sportsmanship. Okay, he walks over to and he's like, yeah, I guess, I guess you did well. After the festivities were over and thousands of baby turtles were ushered to the sea, Doro surprised the party by entering Turtle Fest's best song competition and winning handily. <laughs> My name is Doro Knot, and I'm from the Port of Bliss. I found a gem that's worth a lot. I stole it like a kiss. I tried to get away, but the parents... <laughs> yeah, wait, wait, wait. wait. Sandy, Sandy's <laughs> pause, 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 pause. Just for one second. So, he's singing his whole story. Uh, there's more. There's more. There's some lady named Rosia. She hit us in her place. I ran around and I was seen. Kodar now knows my face. The dwarf was here having visions. The wolf was calling him. We found the elves revealed ourselves through Godhood from within. So... <laughs> I learned to teleport. Watch me do it now. I'm over here. I'm over there. And then I teleport to my seat. And addressing the crowd, and I say, and now I'm in the crowd. Oh. And, and I'm just down. laughing. Oh. Woo! They are a lot. Except for a couple people. Phryne, realizing the danger that this display of power put the players and the God King's great-granddaughter in, calls for everyone to be taken to one of the royal ships of Ani. I summon our servants. Yes, yes. Um, they appear. Fetch the dwarf. Yeah. Fetch the God King's daughter because she is in danger. While on board, Zion sees the great comedy merge from a bank of clouds and decides to draw it, unable to get its glowing form out of his mind. As the clouds part, and the night becomes clearer, the comet has returned. It is small and green, and there appears to be no tail behind it now, and it's off to the left of the moon. Well, I'm just gonna fetch out my parchment then and draw it again. Later, the God King visits the PCs at the request of Phryne, as she sought to inform him of the dangers he faces. Uh, after a moment, there's a knock at your door. Someone opens it, and the God King ducks under and steps into your room. I have heard you wish to speak with me. Your Majesty, I have been having dreams, uh, and uh, I had a dream the other night about the comet. What did the comet look like? Well, I, I, I drew it. And you still see the king's face fall a little bit as he takes the drawing from you, and he looks at it, and he nods. My dream started when I was shown a drawing. And then you hear an explosion. So you all run out onto the deck and you are greeted by the sight of a massive fire about two miles behind Turtle Bay in the heart of the Ironwood. 
The small glowing speck of the comet still hangs above you to the west, but from the east, several meteors shower down into the bay. You just see, you know, Phryne kind of look up, and eventually you walk out, look up with, with her, and there was a very large meteor coming directly towards the town, and the God King sees it too and is going to meet it. There's an incredibly bright light that fills the sky for a few seconds to the point where you guys can't see, and when you turn back, there is no sign of the God King at all. As the people in Turtle Bay began to panic, Phryne used the Eye of Saw to amplify her divinity and calm the raging torrent of emotion around her. I suspect that the jewel can be used to amplify magic. You reach into your pouch and you pull out the Eye of Saw. As your hand wraps around it, your body lurches and you see that pink-purple fog of a world start to envelop the reality around you. But you're ready for it this time, and you fight it. able to stay conscious in a bridge between these two worlds and you feel a rush of power wave through you. You can see and feel the emotions of everyone around you. Pounding terror hits you in wave after wave as it builds and builds. You can feel all of their emotions pulling at you, pulling at every single pore and finally you just hurl your arms forward and shout, no, no, and she just flares bright purple. She rises above the ground with her eyes open and her hands out and everyone stops dead. Every single person who is running stops dead and turns to her and nods and then slowly and carefully starts walking towards the temple. She collapses to the ground and passes out. Taking control, Phryne orders the remaining Aenean ships to search for their god king as the party discusses the political ramifications in the wake of his death. And the ships pull up, and there is the god king's tabard, lying on top of the water, glowing. The soldiers fish his tabard out of the water. It's folded. It's also dry, by the way. It never got wet. Well, that's the only thing that would have floated, okay. unfortunately. Everything else would be a crown, a shield. Shit. Everything else would have gone straight to the bottom. Political problem. Oh yes, it does. It does. A big political yeah, problem. We and also by the way, know that it's truly at the bottom of the sea, or anywhere, or he could still be whatever. Right. She is aware of the political problem this causes. I mean, the entire fifty years of peace have hinged on the fact that the God King is alive. I mean, here's the only thing I'm worried about, and that would be the second that the Empire of Kadar hears that they no longer that Ani is no longer in possession of those mystical weapons. You can bet they'll head for Wessel or Brynis. Um, maybe not attack Ani directly, but that's basically an invitation. I mean, this is why I think we have to concoct some reasonable sounding myth for where the God King is, where the armor is, that at least temporarily, while we figure things out, has some sort of prophylactic effect on any movements the Kadarians might be making. So at this point, am I the highest ranking person on the ship? I think we have done all we can do here. I would agree, ma'am. And it's time for us to set sail back to Ani. After a quiet journey across the Inner King Sea, the party arrived at the capital of Ani, only to be assaulted by her very walls. Is there anything you guys want to do over these nine days? Trade. Obviously, guys. Uh, I've kind of getting to the hang of this. Uh, 
divinity thing, I think is what we're calling it. Oh, hey, Doro. Uh, hey, Brannick. You didn't see me walk up? Doro, it's okay. Like, I know you can teleport. <sighs> Sorry, I- Because he wrote a song about it. And right. It to also, everybody. we kind of did it like in front of everyone and like, we've all been talking about it like the whole time. Like, like, is it a trick? Uh, yes. It is a yeah. trick. Okay. No, just talk All right. I'm going to figure out your trick, though, man. Okay, you do that. I'm going to look into it. Okay. I bet it's like powder and like there's a trap door. Oh, you're on the right track, All right, Brandon. I'm keep looking into Nothing it. gets by you, Tony. Yeah. Good to see you, man. Yeah, you too. After your encounter with the Blackwater, the sea remains open for the rest of the journey to Ani. Phryne spends her time reading notes from messenger birds and leading the crew. Doro continues to practice his teleport, attempting to expand his power ever further. Torvik plays with his new companion as he studies the ancient wooden armor form given to him by Steelbeard, while Zion continues to worry about his companions. Shortly before dawn on the ninth day, the great walls of Ani finally rise into view. Shimmering towers of ivory over a hundred feet tall line the entire city island kingdom that radiate with a magical glow that seems to beckon you with enveloping warmth. As you pass into the mouth of the canal, you can finally see the great aqueducts that run along the top of these ivory walls. As your ship passes into the mouth of the canal and the trumpets grow louder and louder, you can also hear a low rumbling that grows into the walls of a knee themselves seem to tremble. A couple of the soldiers on your boat stumble and fall backwards, looking up to the walls. They've activated the overflow gates. We'll be swamped. And a second later, an eruption of water explodes out of both sides of the gatehouse and plummets towards you, enough to completely engulf your ship. Watching his friends nearly be killed by his inability to teleport them out of danger, Doro broke away from the rest of the party, seeking a quiet place to continue training his divinity. I can't protect any of you. And if we don't get stronger, if we don't figure out how to do this... So pop, pop, and you're outside. And I so just run you're... down the alley. Once he saw to Phryne's health, Torvik set out into the heart of Ani's merchant center to find a guild hall and pay his dues, only to have Oinkers bolt for the door. You're filling out some paperwork, you're signing things, you're handing over gold, you're going through things. You'd put Oinkers down just for one second, and out of the corner of your eye, you notice that he is bolting for the door. He is on the ground and running straight out the front door. I've got the Oinkers, come back! Is the hole big enough for me to get through? All right, so you start pushing and like trying to find your way in, like getting into the hole, and you lean against that wall and you fall right through it. And into a chamber that held a 20-foot tall stone statue covered in gold leaf. The statue resembled the long-dead god of Ogun and was cradling a garnet sphere so slick that Torvik could not pick it up. After he finally managed to get the gem into a small bag, he started back up the stairs to the surface only to awaken the sleeping stone golem. As the golden golem rampaged through the city after Doro, Torvik, Oinkers, and the Sphere of Ogun, Phryne was summoned to the palace with her father for a meeting with the queen that turned out to be a surprise, royal, arranged lesbian marriage. That's why your dad's in a full dress uniform, and that's why everyone else is in full dress uniform. And you're about halfway to the throne before you look up and see that the queen, the new queen, who used to be the great-great-granddaughter, a princess, is also in formal wedding attire. Doro and Torvik then hunted down an old enemy, Baron LaFleur. The silver herring. The crimson rape, the silver herring? 
No, you know what's fun? Yeah. The silver herring. I like that. Don't mind me. I'll yeah. just name everything. The silver herring. <laughs> That's fun. I'm the DM. You can see that there on the floor ship has docked here. And that the wagon carrying your assuming somebody. somebody you know is pull has pulled up through this park and in is pulling in behind this building here, which is the Senate. It's in the north of the circle. Correct. So yeah, so they, they are pulling into this first building on the north, or this first cluster of buildings on the um, north, and the ship is docked over here on the west. In an effort to distract Lafleur and his men, Toro and Dorvik combined divinities as the halfling encouraged the dwarf to summon the largest creature he could find. Like, okay, he wants me to connect with the animals, but how do I, you know, and like, why did I do that? And, how, and you've done it before. The one thing we did it before was just outside Turtle Bay, when you were able to connect with them, when they all told you the God King was gone, when you heard them all reverberate at the same time. So you begin to think about Turtle Bay and how you were linked in there, and your mind just seems to float. And then you're over the bay, and you can hear the fish, and you can hear the sound and, and the turtles and the porpoises yelling back at you. And then you can hear a very loud, deep sound. And it seems just to pull you beneath the waves. It's hard, it's strength, it's size, just kind of draws you into it. And you see his eyes flare open all of a sudden as you're talking to him. And you think You both gasp and are driven to your knees as a creature explodes from the harbor. It's about a dozen feet long and its greenish brown body is thick like a cow's, each leg ending in an individual flipper as it thrashes about on the surface. Its serpentine neck ends in a thick oval head wrung with sharp teeth and lets out a plaintive wail as a second beaked mouth appears underneath it, snapping it clean in half. You both are slammed to the ground as this force drags you towards the harbor. The air is knocked from your lungs and black stars flicker on the edges of your vision. A 60-foot-long dragon turtle erupts to the surface, raining thousands of gallons of water down all around it. It rears back and lets out an almighty roar that echoes across the harbor. while Doro and Pera awaited trial before the Onion Council and confessed their love for each other. I love you. And he just kind of looks at you and he's confused for a second and then he smiles and he reaches, and he, like, he tries to reach in further through the bars, but he can't, he just can't get his hands in further. But he's like, I love you too. Okay, let's try to get out of this alive then. I can get us out. We already tried to escape and we saw what happened. No matter what happens, I'm gonna get you out. Shortly after, the para brought before the full council of Ani to answer some questions. 
Every member of the council rises when the assessed are brought into their chamber, a tradition to remind those in power that everyone, even those who stand accused of great crimes, are free men and women worthy of respect until a verdict is cast. Zion and Para are both marched before the representatives and walked onto a pair of five-foot stone discs. As you two step onto them, you feel a hollow wave of cold slam into you and you feel drained and pulled downward slightly as some sort of field envelops you. The Speaker of Ani is an elf of indeterminate age, much like many of them are. She is dressed in a simple amber gown and sits in the center of the speakers, a golden rod held gently in her fingers. She stands, introduces herself as the representative from Ani, Amra Tinuith. She then turns and introduces the rest of the speakers one by one. Gregos Korba, human Brennus. Gregos is a large, stout man in his late forties with streaks of gray in his black hair and beard, both worn long and slightly unkempt. He wears thick coal-black leathers and sits in front of a banner of deep emerald edged with silver. Kuat Moody, human, Wessel. Kuat is a tall, slender man with dark skin and short black hair. He is wrapped in a series of colorful, loose-fitting fabrics with many frills and tassels and sits in front of a golden banner lined with deep orange. Karlov Preetin, human, Kadar. Karlov is a tall man who sports a surprisingly slender waist for a man in his 60s. His silver hair grows long, as does his beard, and he wears the traditional black skull cap of the anti-theots. A seeker stone worn round his neck glows ever brighter as Para and Zion are led inside eliciting gasps from the general council, though his grim face reveals no surprise. Ogunt Sozin, Dwarven, Rizan. Ogunt, short and round even for a dwarf, appears in her late thirties with curly bright hair and many freckles across her pale skin. She is wrapped in layers of rich golden fabric and seems to show very little interest in any of these proceedings. Phryne's mother, speaking for Ani, pressed Zion and Para about their abilities and the potential threat they pose to all within the Five Kingdoms. Magic is re-entering the world, and it is doing so through us. Conduits for this magic, are you? We are adolescents. But you have brought great power into the city. Unknowingly, unannounced. You have made several attempts to hide it. You continue to try and hide it now. Are any of these things untrue? I'm only trying to protect your daughter. Oh, you're trying to protect my daughter. My daughter is very shortly to be the most powerful, no, the second most powerful woman in this city. I can't imagine why she'd have to worry about your protection. While at the same time, Phryne was in the great throne room of Ani, preparing herself to become the first queen. She's there alone, being given off by a uh, economic advisor that you know. What about a servant? No. So I bet there would be like one servant that in has the wedding party their entire lives yeah. with raising this girl. And yeah. She has no fucking parents. There There's always like one life. But this is a protocol. Yeah. This there is a protocol, absolutely man. is some servant that has raised her for her entire life and been like a father figure. And he's in the back where he belongs. And there is a if counselor. If he's in the room at all. Right. If he's in the room at all, there is an economic counselor that is giving her away that she's never met or more than probably twice in her life, but owns a bunch of grain fields out in 
you know, wherever. So that's the one giving her away. That's how the world works then. Mm-hmm. Look at her. Yeah. Um, I'd like to try reading her again. You don't even need to. She just kind of turns to you and she's just going to smile on her and she's like, that's kind of fucked up, isn't it? She's okay. just, yeah, she knows too. She's like, she, she knows exactly where she is. She knows who you are. You guys have never been friends, right. but you've gotten along and she's a pretty plain spoken individual. I mean, she knows that this is, you know, for show and for the people. As vows were exchanged, Torvik finally realized the purpose of the black fang of ova he was given at the beginning of his journey. And I just want to lay on the turtle and basically give him a hug. As Torvik is ripping off his gloves and opening up his armor and pressing himself flat against the neck of this dragon turtle, the fang of Ova that's on the chain around his neck presses against his flesh and the dragon turtles at once. His eyes roll back, flare, and turn those yellow cat's eyes you first saw at Steelbeard's Grove. After their trial is cut short by the sudden appearance of a dragon turtle in Ani's inner harbor, Zion and Para were kidnapped and brought to a hidden laboratory beneath a grain silo in the northwestern edge of the city. While there, Zion spotted Caitlin, his old childhood friend he had last seen being marched onto the Blackwater en route to the bluffs. Has her, her head shaved and she's just in a dirty rag and she's chained to the floor and she's weeping. Caitlin! And the door slams shut. A couple minutes later, you can hear her scream. All right, I force my door open. All right. 20. Oh. <laughs> We're gonna go out there and confront what we have to confront. Doro and Torvik calm the dragon turtle Urlock, battle their way onto Baron LaFleur's ship, and find themselves facing a very familiar magic. I you see three crimson robed men step onto the deck from a staircase in the rear. All three stand beardless with shaved heads and throw out their arms to reveal hands painted bright gold as they march towards you. As their hands grasp at the air in front of them, you feel a familiar force seize at your muscles and bones. It's time for a large string of bad decisions. To appear directly on top of Doro's, I'm sorry, on top of Torvik's shoulders in the dwarfling position as you hear a wolf and a shudder and a fireball start to build underneath you. Zion detailed his plan in order to fool the rest of the city into thinking the God Queens had as much power as the old king. Well, this seems to confirm what we had suspected. That's why I think we need to have a show of, of strength and support, something that riles the people into our favor. So what I think we need to do is one, establish what the Kadarians are up to, and two, convince them that the power of the God King still rests in this city. I believe I still have some of the truth serum. I, I, I would do this in a way that is like, Ah, oh, nice, okay, so it's yeah, so, pissed. Right, so she's talking and all of a sudden, you all see this, no one, you don't even have to roll, but there's a bright flash of light and kind of a rumbling thunder. The God King is just in the sky. He's Actually. alive! Look! Oh my God, the King! The king! And everyone's like, there's, there's shouting and gasps everywhere. And I everywhere. look and gasp as well because, yeah. <gasps> you know. How dare you defy the authority of the crown. Obey the queens, remember this shit, 
Jacob yeah. out. <laughs> At this point, I don't plan on telling anyone that this was an illusion because I need everyone to buy it. Everyone is yeah, buying it and everyone's treating it like it was real. As the council nervously discusses their options, watching the great royal Kadarian fleet close in. It shows Ani near the center with several red dots around it, four of which block the main harbor and are labeled the Anean Ironwood Fleet. Another five form a loose border to the northwest and are labeled the Watch Perimeter. Written next to Ani are the following words, Anean Military, 250 Royal Guards, 1,000 City Guards, 10,000 Reservists. In the lower right-hand corner are a series of nine dots that are labeled the Royal Navy of Brennus. It looks like they are 13 days out from Ani. In the upper left, 26 blue dots make up the Kadarian Navy, and they are 11 days from Ani. party reunites to combine their divinities during a grand royal flotilla and ends up fighting off an assassination attempt by nearly a hundred radical Zavanites. The flotilla got off without a hitch and everyone worked in conjunction perfectly, all of their powers meshing together to create the illusion of two all-powerful god queens. As the core of the flotilla entered the central harbor and made its way around the massive statue of Sido, their cheers erupted across the water. As thousands of petals cascaded down along them, temporarily obscuring the view of the crowd. As the petals cleared, several of the players noticed movement within the crowd as about a hundred men on the rafts, on the boats, drew white masks over their faces, pulled weapons, and began to attack. We're really manipulating this kid. It's not so much manipulating as taking control in a crisis. There you go. So I guess I will try again my firebolt. Nice, which one do you want to throw at? Could I tell which one hit me? Yes, yes you can. You know right. exactly which one hits you, and it's that little asshole right there. Insulted him. You should oh. insult that guy. Just really make him feel badly. Shithead. <laughs> Worst archer ever. You think that hurt? I'm gonna just go for Firebolt in the moment. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'll insult them at the sentencing phase. <laughs> Yikes. We fear no wallite. <laughs> Later, the first queen sends Doro off with a handful of guards to investigate the smaller vessel Baron LaFleur was forced to leave behind. Uh, go with the halfling. Take my order! No, do not. You follow me now! <laughs> so, so you're Escort him to and from the ship with as little incident as possible. And it's do now, everything I say! As you're marching, you're just like... like yeah, this. I totally, like, pop and circumstance march out of the... And the guards are like, this is the dumbest mission I've ever yep. been on. Finding a smear of that same iridescent blue mud Hagen had applied to the party's spellcasters as she taught them magic, they surmise the wild elves must somehow be using it to track them. This is divination magic. We were hoodwinked by those damn elves. Ugh, <laughs> never trust those wild elves. At the very least, someone's been tracking you. 
As Phryne and Zion continued the investigation, Doro wandered through the palace looking for a quiet place to plan out his guild charter. Instead, he found Caitlyn caught in a nightmare, and upon rushing to her side, found himself trapped in one as well. So you're walking through some rooms, there's a, there's a long hallway with a bunch of doors, you're just kind of ducking in one door after the next, seeing which ones are unlocked, seeing if anything's inside any of these doorways, and then you come across a small bedroom, and Caitlyn's in it. She's sleeping on a bed in the center of the room. There's a couple of tables around her with bowls of water and fruits and like a little towel has been dampened and placed across her forehead. And it looks like she's having a particularly bad nightmare. She's fretting about and her fists are clenched and she's sweating a lot. No, I'd let her grab me. Okay. She's probably having a nightmare. Boom, she grabs your wrists and she looks at you and her eyes are like spinning. They're that kind of purple pink miasma that this that you would see when you go in into the astral realm just two glowing orbs of that and she just looks right at you and she says you can't can't hear door only the monsters are here and then you just fall unconscious like into a weird blackness that seems to well up from inside you take hold of you and you just spin into oblivion Thank you for joining us for the recap of Season 1 of God's Fall, The Awakened. We're trying to figure out some time in the next week or so to schedule our finale game. As soon as we can get it recorded, I'll knock out the edit as fast as possible and we will get it up. We hope you all have enjoyed this inaugural season of our podcast and we cannot wait for you to see what we have in store for Season 2. I'm looking at this first season as kind of a test run. I'm very, very proud of what we have done. I really enjoy the content and the story, but this is all just a setup for everything I have planned for here on out. Also, and I cannot tell you how excited I am to share this, I have some exciting news about my day job and Dungeons and & Dragons. I'm a freelance graphic designer, photographer, and videographer in Washington, D.C. If you want to check out my portfolio, you can do so at aramvartian.com. And I am very fortunate to have as my main client, the Kennedy Center. Recently, they've been watching the popularity of God's Fault grow and seeing my enthusiasm as I've been making the podcast. And I pitched to them an idea where we could use Dungeons & Dragons to teach young people about storytelling and writing and map making and all of the various forms of art and creativity that go into making a campaign. And that happened to coincide nicely with the entire Ring Cycle coming to the Kennedy Center in 2016. The Ring Cycle is a four-part Wagner opera that lasts 14 hours. And we've had the idea to take the entire thing, rewrite it as a Dungeons & Dragons campaign, record it on stage, both with audio and video, and then broadcast that out as a complete podcast. This is a big project, and it's gonna be a long time in the making, and many things about it may change, but we are full speed ahead. I'll keep you all updated as we go along, and I promise I will share links to this podcast when we finally release it. So that's about all the news I have for now. We'll be back with our season finale as soon as we can get it wrapped. If you guys have any questions at all, you can always email me at godsfalldc at gmail.com. And I'm telling you, I have never been happier in my entire life. I cannot wait for you to see what we have in store. And we will see you hopefully next week.